The gospel reading comes from the gospel according to John, from chapter 5. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 17. John 5, 1 through 17. Hear the word of the Lord. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, an Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you're visiting with us, we're in a study in the gospel according to John, and we obviously have arrived in chapter 5, looking at verses 1 through 17. I will encourage you, all of us, that you spend some time in the next couple of weeks. We're going to be in chapter 5 for three weeks, this week and then for two more weeks. And it is a powerful, powerful chapter. It is an argument set forth by Jesus for his deity. He speaks here uh, to the Pharisees, to the Sadducees, to members of the Sanhedrin. And of course, they think he's blaspheming. And he speaks to them and lays down an argument that cannot be defeated for his deity. That's how huge this chapter is. So, and it, it's, it's not easy. So, I would ask you, just for the 
next couple of weeks to daily as you read the Bible. Read chapter 5. And if you read it every day and you mark it, you're going to see it on your own by the power of the Holy Spirit. You will see it. It will be a blessing to you. But before we open to chapter 5, let's pray and ask the Father to teach us. Our Father, we bow before you. At this time in our worship, always, we come as priests, your priests, all of us, for Christ has called us to be priests. You've called us to be priests, a kingdom of priests, a whole congregation of priests. Father, this week we have been throughout the Mid-South living our individual lives, living our lives as a family, striving to be salt and light to the world around us. In doing that, we're speaking the gospel to the world around us through what we say, through what we do. Even when we're not aware, you're using our lives and the power of your spirit to affect others. And you, you've called us to do that. But now, we turn from being salt and light out in the world to being priests before you. And we come bring the world around us, our children, our parents, our grandparents, our grandchildren, our neighbors, our friends, the people with whom we work, and each other. We lay them before you. Our Father, we thank you for how you've answered our prayers as your priests. Last week, Father, as Phil and Sally Halley were, were here, we remembered how you have wonderfully answered prayers concerning his health. And we thank you again for what you've done. And this morning we pray for Sally. As uh, she's injured her foot, we pray that as his caregiver, that you will heal her foot and strengthen her. Bring her health, Father. We pray, Father, for Sandy Berlin and the surgery that he will have Thursday. We pray that you'd bring healing to his body. Give Sandy many more years yet, Father, upon this earth. Give him health in those years. We pray for Kathy Garrett that you would bring comfort to her and to her family and wipe away the tears. We pray for Kathy Wright in the, this continuing battle with cancer. Father, you know these people, all of them. We ask, Father, that you would bless our marriages, bless our children. Give our children to Jesus Christ. Father, give our grandchildren to Jesus Christ. Pray that where marriages and relationships need healing, that those marriages, those relationships, will know the healing power of the Holy Spirit. Now we ask, Father, our last request, that you would teach us, that you would speak to us, 
John Sartell on his own cannot speak so that it will make any difference in our lives. Father, you know me. This is not empty rhetoric. The congregation knows this. And so once more this morning, we fall upon your grace and we ask that you would speak to your people. We pray in a few minutes when we leave here that we will know, all of us, from the youngest to the oldest, we will know that you have spoken, Father. So we bow before you. And we're your children. And we're children asking their father to tell us a story. To tell us a story one more time and open our eyes to see and our ears to hear and our hearts to receive. For the glory of your son, we pray. Amen. Jesus made me do it. That's our title. But that's exactly as we look at these first 17 verses. That's exactly the testimony of these verses. John does not record the great number of miracles that are found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. He speaks of the miracles, of different miracles that actually don't appear in his gospel. We have seen two previous miracles. When Jesus turned the water into wine at the great wedding party, last week we saw him heal a government official's son. This morning we read of Jesus healing a paralytic at the pool of Bethesda down in Jerusalem. John uses this scene of healing to introduce in his gospel to introduce the hostility of the Sanhedrin to introduce the hostility against Jesus of the Pharisees and Sadducees that's what happens now we'll look at that opposition and the reason for it next week but this morning I want to focus on the healing of this paralytic and his interchange with Jesus it's incredibly fascinating. Let's set the scene so that we can understand what was taking place as accurately as possible. Jesus has returned to Jerusalem for one of the many Jewish feasts. Now, John, when he speaks of Jesus going to these feasts in Jerusalem, he usually names the feast. He does not do that here. But he goes into great detail. Jesus goes to an exact location near something called the Sheep Gate. He goes to a place, a pool, a pool area named Bethesda. In Aramaic, Bethesda means house of mercy. Why was that area called that? Well, this pool was surrounded by five covered porches or patios. It was a colonnade. A colonnade is a row of columns supporting a roof. So here were five covered patios or porches that surrounded a pool. The waters of the pool were probably fed by springs, maybe warm or hot springs. 
They were thought to be therapeutic. Thus, these porches, they weren't filled with the wealthy coming to a wonderful spa experience. Just the opposite. These porches were filled with the blind, with the lame, with the paralyzed. John describes this in verse 3. Look at the words in verse 3. He describes this, a multitude of invalids. Wow. And then he goes, blind, lame, paralyzed. These were people who could not take care of themselves. Many were beggars. This place had probably evolved into a, a center of mercy, a charity hospital. Different charities helped provide for these people who could not support themselves. Hence, it had been given that name, Bethesda, House of Mercy. Now, you need to know that the theological liberals who don't believe in the authority of Scripture, the inspiration of Scripture, don't believe in incarnation, don't believe in the deity of Christ, they used this very passage to call into question. They did this for centuries. To call into question the truth of Jesus, the incarnation of Jesus, the deity of Jesus. They said such a place does not exist. Archaeology over 1,800 years has not found it. And then the inevitable happened. The archaeologists did find it. It was by a place called the Sheep Gate, exactly where John says it was. At certain times, the water would be disturbed. It would, it would bubble up, probably from the heat of underground springs. Now, probably you didn't notice in your scripture sheet or in your Bibles this morning, if you have the ESV, there's no verse 4. In, if you have a King James Version, there's a verse 4. And verse 4 reads like this in the King James Version. For an angel of the Lord went down at certain times into the pool and stirred the water. Whoever stepped in first after stirring of the water was healed of whatever disease he had. Now, you'll not find that verse in the NIV, the ESV, the ASV, or the RSV. It's omitted. Why? For one simple reason, that verse, that sentence does not occur in the earliest manuscripts of the New Testament. Now, we believe that the Bible's inerrant, inerrant in the original manuscripts. Now, we don't have an, an original manuscript, but the earliest manuscripts that we do have, that verse is not there. It's thought that some well-meaning scribe wanted to add his own thoughts as to why the water was helpful to those who bathed in it. So that's the background. Jesus comes to this health spa for the destitute. He singles out one man who had been there for 38 years. And first, as we look at this, after that background, I want you to see a thoughtful and intelligent question. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? Now, at first glance, 
That question seems inane. Of course he wants to be healed. Jesus, why would you even ask? Well, Jesus understood two truths. The man had been at the pool for almost 38 years. He had completely adapted to that way of living. He lived by the charity of others. And through this charity of others, he had food brought to him. He did not work. His life was completely dependent on others. His life, his fellowship, his relationships were all among this multitude of invalids. They all knew each other. This was his life, his fellowship, his relationships. His life was completely wrapped up in the people of Bethesda. Now that's the first truth. The second truth is that if Jesus healed him, his life would be completely changed. He would no longer be paralyzed. He would lose his place at Bethesda. He would be expected to provide for himself. There would be a, a new response. It would be a completely different life. R.C. Sproul, a longtime friend of and theologian of many in this congregation tells a story of walking down the street in the town where he lived and as he walked the street a man came running out of the jewelry store and just ran into him hit him and then R.C. heard thief stop that man stop him well R.C. grabbed him The man made no effort to get away. He didn't shoot or see or stab him. He simply looked at him and said, I give up. Police came, took him away. Several days later, R.C. saw one of the policemen and said, what happened to that man? Who was he? And the policeman laughed and said, we have him in jail. We know him very well. He's been in jail most of his life. And when he does get out, he immediately commits a crime so he can get back in. Well, this man, this man, an invalid for 38 years, had been institutionalized. He had become so accustomed to the life in prison, like, our, like the man that had been so accustomed to life in prison. This man at Bethesda, Jesus said, you really want to be healed? Now, that was the reason Jesus asked the question. If, if you're after that, your life is going to be incredibly changed, mister. You know, it's, it's like that with us, with all of us. I don't care what age you are. You can be in elementary school. You can be in a retirement center. But when we encounter Christ... Do you want to be saved? Do you want to be healed from the wretched disease of sin that plagues mankind? That's what happens when we're confronted with Jesus. That's what we sang about it this morning. It's in the middle of this passage. 
You see, it's a salvation, it's a saving that will drastically change you. If Jesus healed this man, he could no longer live the same life on the porch of Bethesda. There's an exact parallel when Jesus saves us. In fact, it's even a greater change. It is. Augustine, the great intellect and theologian and author of the early church, he he lived a very wayward youth and he prayed as a young man. Honestly, he prayed. He talked about it. He prayed, Lord, make me chaste, but not just yet. Not just yet. Time and again, as I've had relationships with college students, over the years I've heard one thing over and over again as I've talked to them about Christ. Maybe someday, probably one day, but right now, I don't want to give up the way I'm living. And Jesus, what does he say to us? Repent. Repentance means turning around. Turning around from sin and selfishness and the life we're living. What did Jesus say? If any man would come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross. And that means come and die and follow me. When I respect it, this is not just some kind of easy believism. I respect it when somebody says, this would mean a change of life. I'm not ready for that. It's a thoughtful and intelligent question. Secondly, I want you to see a misunderstood offer. The man hears him say, do you want to be healed? And how does the paralyzed man respond? The sick man answered him, sir, I, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water stirred up. The man begins to tell Jesus how Jesus can help him. When the water stirred up, I have no way to get there. People get there before me. He wants Jesus to help him get into the water. Now, you know Jesus, and you just laugh at this. You've got to. Man, do you realize to whom you're speaking? This is the Son of God and Son of Man. And you think, hey, kind of help me into the water. When he can speak and your paralysis is gone. That's so much like the world. Jesus is the Son of God come in the flesh. This is the prince of heaven come to the middle of his creation. And he came to take our sin upon himself, to take our guilt upon himself, to suffer the punishment of eternal judgment on our sins. And the world pays no attention to that message. The message of the incarnation, the message of salvation. The world comes to Jesus, comes to God, and says, I've got this cancer, Jesus. Heal me. I'm about to go under financially. Help me. 
save me from this addiction or save me from that addiction. Here, Jesus, we want to tell you what you can do for us. Do you know how many people I've had sitting in my office and they've come because from the doctor's office because they have cancer? Many of them have not been Christians. And they're not sitting there saying, I want to give my life to God. I want to give my life to Christ. They're sitting there saying, would you pray for me? What do you want me to pray? I want you to pray I'd be healed from this cancer. And the answer to that is, mister, you've got that, the, that cancer. You've got something so much larger you're facing a danger that's so much larger than that cancer, you can't imagine it. That cancer pales in comparison. This, read the Gospels this afternoon. It's in Matthew. It's in Luke. Four men. There's a, guy, there's a man that's paralyzed, and he has four friends. No four friends know about Jesus, and they pick this man up on his bed and take him and place him in front of Jesus. It's, it's such a wonderful passage. And what does Jesus say? Not, but many of you know the answer. What does Jesus say? Now, to fit the picture, four men, there's a whole crowd around them. In fact, they had to lower the man through the roof of a house because every, the crowd outside was just packed around. The house was packed. And they let this man down in front of Jesus. They went to that trouble. <laughs> Jesus looks at the man and he says, your sins be forgiven. Now, can you imagine those four men looking at each other and saying, what's this about? We brought him to be healed. And Jesus then says, so that you may know that I have the power to forgive sins. So that you may know That my main reason for coming was to forgive sin, to take away sin. So that you know I, will have, I have that power. I will heal this man. And he said, take up your bed and go home. I have found that most people in the world, if they seek out Jesus, they want him to do something far less than save them. From their sins. Let me tell you this morning if you do not know Jesus Christ and you know you don't know him, if you're not a Christian, this is why Jesus came. And cancer and all the other wrong stuff in this world pales in comparison to the sin that weights down on our souls. A thoughtful, intelligent question, a misunderstood offer. Thirdly, I want you to see a simple but correct answer. Now, that day was a Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it's a Sabbath, and it's not lawful to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me. That man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who's the man who said that to you? Take up your bed and walk. 
Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn. There was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. So John uses this miracle to introduce us to the hostility of the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin to Jesus. And we'll save that till next week. Jesus had commanded the man to take up his bed and walk. And this, he had, a, he was, had been lying on a type of a mat that could be rolled up. He had never been able to get up on his feet and roll it up. But Jesus said, stand up, roll up your bed, and go home. Now the religious leaders see this man on a Sabbath day carrying this mat, this load, and it's forbidden in the rabbinical law. There's nothing in the Old Testament that forbids this. It was a man-made law. And this man's walking away in public from the pool of Bethesda. It's a Sabbath day. You don't, these Pharisees see and say, Sabbath, it's a Sabbath. Don't you know, do you see any other people carrying around such a heavy thing? And what does the man say? It's priceless. The man's answer is classic. Look, I'm just obeying the man who healed me. He told me to take up my bed and walk, and I did just that. The man is essentially saying, the man who healed me made me do it. They ask him, who healed you? He said, I honestly don't know. Now that may seem odd, but it's really not. Jesus has walked up this single individual. We already read that there were multitudes of invalids. He says, this, you know, this conversation may have lasted less than a minute. And you can imagine what happened when the man was healed. The whole place went berserk. A man that was paralyzed for 38 years. He got up. He's walking out. The whole, the, you know, and Jesus just backs away. Walks away and left the man alone. His answer is so simple. And it's absolutely correct. I just did what the healer told me to do. Stop and think about that. I want to be able to say that about my life. When the world says, why are you living the way you're living? Why are you doing that? Why are you going to church? Why are you wasting that money tithing? Why do you believe this is a sin and that's a sin. Why are you faithful to your wife or husband? Why do, you, why do you love your neighbor? Why do you love your enemies? Why do you forgive when you're wrong? Why do you sing songs in the midnight, in the dark hours? Why is your life, even when it's a terrible day, why is your life marked with joy? I want to be able to point to Jesus and say, it's his fault. He made me do it. 
because that's the truth. That's what the apostles said. The only other scripture we use this morning outside of chapter 5 is Galatians 2.20. Look at it. I, Paul is saying this, a great apostle Paul, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul, what was Paul saying? Jesus made me do it. That's it. A thoughtful, intelligent question, a misunderstood offer, a simple but correct answer. And finally, the call to a changed life reiterated. Look at verse 4. After Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, Are you, see your will, sin no more. Nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. We don't see that often in the Gospels, do we? Jesus goes and finds the man later. The man had gone to the temple. He was probably in the temple. That's a great sign. He was probably in the temple giving thanks to God, knowing that something transformational had happened. And Jesus goes to find him. Maybe it had to do with the stealth of Jesus used in approaching the man and leaving the man so suddenly. And Jesus reiterated his point. Hey, see, you're healed. And then he says this. Sin no more. Repent of your sin. Jesus was saying what we talked about last week. You've been healed from paralysis. But you have a greater need. You need to repent of your sins and believe. Jesus says, do that. Or otherwise, something much worse than paralysis is going to happen. He's talking about eternity. He's talking about judgment. But you know, it doesn't stop there. The story doesn't stop there. The story continues. The man goes. This is fascinating. The man goes... And he finds those Pharisees, the religious leaders who had interrogated him. Did he know that they were hostile to what Jesus did? Probably by now. He could easily remain silent. I think that this, in a way, was his confession of faith. He goes back to these very men. He says, want to know who healed me? His name is Jesus. Wow. He owned up to it. He owned up to a relationship with Jesus Christ. He would not be intimidated. Students, listen to me. He wouldn't be intimidated by the people around him. Even these religious, powerful leaders, he wouldn't be intimidated. He wouldn't be silenced. Why are you the way you are? Why are you living this way? Jesus, that's the reason. Do we live our lives in such a way that even as weak and feeble as we are, we can say, 
Jesus causes me to live the way that I live. In our world today, we're living in a secular society, in a godless society. We're living in the society of the Antichrist. And it, 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 it will be easy to be silent. This man, once he's Jesus identifies himself, leaves his temple, goes and finds those religious leaders. Jesus is the reason I'm walking. Jesus made me do it. People, if I come up to you and I say, are you a Christian? Probably most people in the room today are going to say, yes, I'm a Christian. That's what I would say to you. Yes, I'm a Christian. But stop it for a minute. What are the first six letters of that name? Christ. We're Christians. We belong to him. He owns us and we own him. Alexander the Great was known for the speed by which he conquered the known world. But he was always also known among his army as a severe judge. And one day he was sitting on Nebuchadnezzar's great throne in Babylon. He was pronouncing sentences for crimes committed or charged against his soldiers. The sergeant of arms brought one soldier before him and he read his crime. Fleeing in the face of the enemy. Cowardice, it was well known. Cowardice, that was a character, characteristic hated, hated by Alexander but for some reason instead of just saying death he saw how young the man was he said boy what's your name and the man mumbled Alexander Alexander stood and said I didn't hear you What's your name? He stood erect and he said, Alexander, sir. And with this, Alexander ran toward him and grabbed him and threw him to the ground and said, you change your ways or you change your name. It's easy to use the name of Christ in here and saying, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. But it's a different thing out there. Look at this man today. I hope you'll go out into this week. I hope I'll go out into this week. In some, in some form or fashion, 
say, Jesus made me do it. And that's what we're going to sing as our closing hymn. How sweet the name of Jesus sounds. Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be inside of us and go with us and abide with us and all of God's people said Amen, Amen.